The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Wow, what a way to show up for work. It never gets better than it is the first day. Although in football, it gets better if you win a Super Bowl. Yeah, that's right. But the relationship is at its peak when they offer you the job and you say yes and you show up and there's a bunch of people there really excited and doing a lot of football games. Mike McDonald, new coach at the Seattle Seahawks. Not a huge surprise, but still a surprise. We yeah. were trying to figure out yesterday which direction they were going to go. We're going to talk about that coming up. PFT Live. We've got two hours to talk about that and other things as we are now just how many days away from the Super Bowl? It's only 10 days. It's already down to 10 days until Super Bowl 58. We'll be heading to Las Vegas. Did you see what I posted last night about how much money Nevada took from gamblers, I think I did. Yeah, about what, the the what, what was it, the one point three billion or something like that. One point four three billion taken from gamblers. Not that they stole it from them, and the gamblers given know. to them by the gamblers. I think is the proper thing given to it them by donated. the gamblers. One point four three billion donated by gamblers. You know, when you give up that much money to any other cause, they put your name on a building. In Vegas, they just give you a free room and lots of free drinks, (laughs) especially while you're gambling. I remember there was a time Leonard Toes, who owned the Eagles at one point, I think, and I'm going to need to research this, I think that when he ended up having to sell the team, he sold the team in part because he lost a ton of money gambling at a casino. And I remember reading the quote. His argument was that they plied him with drinks 
to get him to gamble and lose all his money. It's like that's kind of what they do. Like when you walk through the door, you know you're going to get plied with drinks. And so if you want to have your wits about you for the entirety of the time that you otherwise may be losing every penny that you own, just say no to the first one. Just drink water. Would you like something to drink? Yes, water. Nothing else, just water. Maybe soda, but just water. So $1.43 billion. And it's funny because, you know, the reaction from some was, well, it's, you know, it's time to even out. <laughs> just in time for all of us to go there. The dice are going to get hot now. Yeah, right. December was the month to lose. February is the month to win. And, you know, usually they don't, they don't really like to publicize how much money they win. They love to publicize when they lose because that makes people think, oh, well, you know, if other people I got a chance. are taking the casinos and the sports books, I got a chance. I, I, no doubt. I, I mean, when I go to Vegas or the times I've been to Vegas, right, which is not a lot, it's three, four times, it, you, you go just with a lot number, like a lot of number in your head, what you're going to lose, right? That That's what are you, what am I willing to lose? That That's really where it starts. And I think if you do that, you won't get yourself in trouble, right? You set a guideline, whatever it is. Hey, thousand dollars. Here's a thousand. If I make money, great, but I'm willing to lose it and not care. All right, that but that I think you think you got to go in with some sort of framework, guideline, whatever to protect yourself because, like you said, you get in the casino, you get a few drinks, you get loose, you know, you see somebody next to you making money, or maybe he's hot, and all of a sudden you get careless, and that's when I've had friends that look down and go, "Oh man, I'm seven thousand in the hole" or something like that. So you got to be careful, uh, as you always say, you're, you're not going to win in the long run, and. You know, gambling, whether it was casinos or Johnny the Bookie in, you know, in the Bronx or Brooklyn, they've been getting over on people for a long time. It's a tale as old as time. That's what it is. And it's, it's, it's hit my wife's family. It's hit everybody. My wife's grandfather, he had a problem with it. And he had some people that took advantage of him because of it. So it's, you know, it's in everybody's life. It's here. And now it's just right in our face all the time. Dude, my dad yeah. was such a chronic and compulsive gambler, he became a bookie. Right. Because he knew the house always wins. So if you're going to play this game, be Be the on the house. winning side. <laughs> and he still, he still, he still, like Las Vegas was this magnet to him. Not that he went that I know of during my lifetime. Maybe he did. I don't know. But I don't think he did. But- it was like this pie in the sky. I'd love to go to Las Vegas and gamble, try my luck, try my hand. Maybe he resisted because he knew at the end of the day he was going to lose. And it was funny. Thanks to Google, which actually can be very effective when you put in the right search terms, like Leonard Toes plied with drinks, April 1, 1993. A jury rejected claims by Leonard Toes, former owner of the Philadelphia Eagles, that an Atlantic City casino plied him with drinks, causing him to lose $1.2 million at the blackjack table. He actually took a case to trial on the question of whether or not they allowed him to gamble while he was visibly and obviously intoxicated. And those gambling losses resulted in him selling the team to Norman Brayman and Ed Leibowitz for $65 million to pay off more than $25 million in gambling debts at Atlantic City casinos. 
sold the team for $65 million. That's a pretty good deal when you consider what the teams are worth today. Uh, and he would have crazy. been able to keep it. Now, who knows what his estate would have done with it, but 20, $25 million. I mean, $25 million now is still a ton of money. $25 million in 1985, again, it's, it's more than a third of the cost of an NFL team. That's how much money he lost gambling in Atlantic City. No, I, I, I mean, that's huge numbers, right? We, we hear stories like that you know, every, so, you know, every now and then. Uh, it, it's... It is it is crazy though, like to the selling of the teams of the numbers of that. I do wonder sometimes, like some of those owners that own teams in the '90s or whatever, you know, who I've uh, the, whoever sold it to the Crafts, I can't remember the the name there. You know, the family that sold it to the the Tampa Bay Bucks to the Glazers, Victor Kayan, right? What that's what Victor it was. Kayan? I think you're right. I think that's what it is. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I wonder like, do they have nights, you know, in their family now or go, wow, you know, we sold it for a lot of money. We did well. We're certainly not hurting here, but, uh, I wonder if we made a mistake 30 years ago by selling that, you know, multi-billion dollar now entity that we did have. I, I, I do kind of wonder how those guys feel about that from time to time. You know, it wasn't all that long ago that teams were going for 150, 200 million grand scheme of things. Right. And now. It's I, I throw around ten billion because it's just a matter of time before a team's going to go for ten billion. Four point six five billion in twenty twenty two was the record purchase price. Denver Broncos six point oh five billion in twenty twenty three for the Washington Commanders. Who knows what team is next? But whatever it is, it's going to be eight billion. Then it's going to be ten billion, and the value just keeps going up and up and up. The problem is. I don't think the Buccaneers fell into this under this umbrella, but when the Washington franchise was sold by Jack Kent Cook, yeah. when the Dolphins were sold by Joe Robbie, that right. was a situation where after the person dies, they didn't have the money to buy the or to pay the estate tax. Gotcha. Because it's not enough that the government takes, you know, thirty, forty percent of everything you make while you're making it. Once you die, they take a chunk of it as well. And you better have your affairs in order or you're going to have to start selling massive assets up to and including that football team to help pay Uncle Sam because Uncle Sam wants a chunk of what you have left when it's time for you to go to the great football field in the sky. But that was why they sold the Dolphins. That was why they sold the Washington franchise. I can't remember if that had anything to do with the sale of what, what was the what was the name? Was it Culver House? It Cul- Culver yeah, the Culver House. or the Cul- yeah. Point. yeah, I think it was. I was going to say the Culver. The maybe it was the Culver House. You're right. Something like that. They Culver House. It. Yeah. Culver and what House. did they sell it for? Like Q. 90s, 90 million, something like that. I want to say it was in that range. Uh, the Glazers are certainly doing better than that now. Hey, we know. Like you said yesterday, the NFL is exploding. And the rate we're at right now, uh, I mean, again, I'm not trying to disrespect soccer or anything like that, but it does feel like by the end of my lifetime that that playing field on the worldwide stage might be a little more even between football and soccer than where it lays right now or especially compared to where it was 20 years ago. Uh, We're seeing that, the, the international reach of the game and the fact that I think social media... Uh, everything that's kind of in our world right now has brought people from different corners of the earth to the game and let, and slowly, but surely I think they're learning it. Right. Uh, so that, that's where, who knows where this all goes, but it's incredible how the NFL has taken over the landscape of, of sports and in, in, in America, especially, I mean, it's incredible. 
Sources close to me tell me that Victor Kayam sold to James Orthwine, who was going to move the team to St. Louis. And in lieu of that, Robert Kraft bought the Patriots. And I recall some sort of a checkmate move where Kraft bought the stadium first and Kraft played the chessboard just right to make it impossible or close to impossible for Orthwine to take Kraft's favorite team away from his home. Right. He saved that team. Now, at one point, I think they were talking about moving to Hartford, but still, that's still New England. It's not St. Louis, but it was Orthwine before that. And Jerry Jones, February 25, 1989. Wow, I can still remember the day. He bought the Cowboys Man. for $140 million. Wow. $140 million. That's nothing. That's nothing. That's nothing. That's, that's soon going to be less than half of the salary cap for one season. And the equivalent, according to this article I'm looking at, of $140 million today is $342.8 million, which isn't even going to get you close. It just shows you how much that has appreciated relative to Incredible. the time value of money and what a great investment it was and still is. At some point, though, I mean, I don't know. Is there a ceiling? Is there? Like, it can't continue to go up and up and up exponentially, can it? No, I don't, I don't think it can. Because, You're right. Because you, you, you have a set amount of inventory, and you, can, and, and you can market it anywhere in the world. So the focal point had been, for the first 85, 90 years of the existence of the NFL, to saturate the United States of America. And then they realized, well, there's – a lot more people not in the U.S. than there are in the U.S. If we can get those people interested, it's just a matter of putting it on their TVs or their phones or their computers or their laptops, their tablets, whatever. We can still make a lot more money, and we'll, we'll, we'll throw them a game or two a year to get them really interested and talk about the possibility wistfully of playing a Super Bowl in some other country, even though they never will. But they talk about it to dangle that carrot to get people interested. And the next thing you know, billion-dollar business becomes combined all 32 teams. I mean, really, how long before we say it's a trillion-dollar business? I don't think it's that. If you've got 32 teams worth $10 billion each, you're, getting, you're, get, you're a third of the way to a trillion if you combine them all. I can and imagine it's a matter it, of time before it is a trillion. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I mean, listen, I, I can imagine it keep going up, especially if they keep 32 teams and keep it at that. Because, I, I mean, you know, again, where you look at it here a little, you know, one, we still have a great part of our population that isn't in on football in America, right? Like, we laugh about it every year, the day after the Super Bowl, when they tell us 100 million people watch, we go, what the F were the other 200 million people doing? Like, what are you doing? Like, you can't get away from the Super Bowl when it's here. It's, like, literally everywhere. So it's a little like, damn, we still haven't reached some of those people there as well. But I think with the wealth gap right now, right, and we're in an era where – the rich keep getting richer and the poor keep getting poorer. And we're back towards like the Rockefeller Carnegie era here right now in our world where the NFL franchise thing is becoming like a luxury status symbol for the ultra, ultra wealthy. And that's where I think sometimes like when I, you know, think about weird things like this, cause we're obsessed with the sport and people bring up conversations all the time. That's sometimes where I think, I don't know, maybe this will continue to skyrocket up because of, the wealth of some people in this country. And I mean, come on, we got some people in the country right now that it feels like they could buy the NFL as a whole, let alone a team. So, you know, that's where I I can envision that kind of happening, Mike, to your point. 
Oh, and you and I may have heard rumors about certain moguls interested in just writing a check for the whole damn operation. Right. Not that the whole damn operation is for sale, all 32 teams at one time. And one of the problems they're ha- they're, they, they are anticipating, and I think they're kind of experiencing it a little bit now, it's hard to find enough people who have the money to write the check. Even though you only have to come up with 30% cash, it's not like people are walking around with $3 billion in cash to buy a $10 billion team. Yeah. We were talking about Tom Brady and his media tour before the show. He was on with FrontOfficeSports.com, and they asked him where things stood with his effort to become involved in NFL ownership because Mark Davis has tried to sell him like 10% of the team at a ridiculous discount, and the rest of the owners aren't going to go for that. They don't want the value of equity of any team to be anything less yeah. than absolute right. top dollar because they want it to keep going up and up and up. But at some point, you're going to have an issue where the current ownership model doesn't work. They're constantly looking to tweak the rules to make it easier for families who own teams to keep the teams, for people who want to get involved in the sport to be able to get involved in a way where like, you can use more debt. You know, most of these ultra rich people can't just go to the bank and say, give me three billion dollars cash. Their money is it reminds me of of and I don't know why I'm thinking of this It's not even Christmas time. But when there's a run on the building and loan and it's a wonderful life and and Jimmy Stewart saying to the well, your money's in in his house and his money's in his house and. That's how it is when you're really rich. You don't just let your money sit around in a checking account. Your money is in stuff yeah. growing in value. Right. And so it makes it harder when it's time to buy a team. So I, my, my point is they're going to have to change with the times at some point. And it gets back to the thing we just spent a lot of time complaining about when it comes to owners who don't know how to run teams. Because there's no test that you have to pass to buy a team. There's one test. Can you come up with the money to buy it? Right. Are you rich enough to buy it? Or are you sufficiently connected to someone by blood or marriage to inherit it when it's time for that person to go to the great luxury suite in the sky? Yeah, yeah. well, we'll Or or elsewhere. I don't know. Those are are problems that I don't (laughs) have to worry about. If they're lucky. Those are problems we don't have to worry. Hopefully, about, you can keep about, growing this, keep getting about, PFT big. We can buy a team. I'll help you run it, and we'll do it that way. So, let, you know, let, just make sure you keep working hard, all right? There's something about fitting a camel through the eye of a needle that comes to mind when I think about the ultra-wealthy standing at the gates and trying to convince St. Peter to let them in. Something about a camel through the eye of a needle, but I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I digress, as I often do. We are, again, 10 days away from the Super Bowl. We are just a few Super days Bowl! away going to Las Vegas. And we, we don't yet have the plans finalized. But apparently, yeah. like we did four years ago right. in Miami, when it was Kansas City Chiefs and Niners. San Francisco in Super Bowl 54, right. apparently the joint Mega Picks podcast coming next Wednesday will be live, will be Live and interactive, whoever cares to show up. And I'm still waiting for the final green light. But apparently somewhere at the Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino, presumably in the sports book, we will be there doing it. Whoever wants to show up and heckle us, throw tomatoes at us 
Whatever the case may be. Well, yeah. I think we're going to be doing that next Wednesday. Be careful throwing tomatoes at me because my arm is better than yours, whoever that is, and they're going to get something <laughs> back. So you, you say be careful about that one, all right? <laughs> we'll, we'll see where it goes. But you're right. It is, it's, uh, I, I'm so excited for the week. I really am. You know, we'll, we'll yeah, be there at the Mandalay Bay. We always love our time. You know, I got my family coming in at the end of the week. I'm excited for that. Of course, it's the it's Mahomes and the Chiefs and Taylor Swift, and it's the 49ers and of course Shanahan, who's my buddy and a longtime family friend. So, you know, I got a lot of interest in this one, and it's going to be fun breaking it down with you next week. And you know, I this is the matchup I picked for the Super Bowl. I picked the Niners over the Chiefs. I'm nervous. I am. I did too. Yeah, I, I know. I know. As I had a I, like my one of my. And you're co- going to pick the 49ers. I, I, I'm going to pick the Chiefs I, next week. That's what's I, I, well. I know. And the way the Chiefs are playing, the Niners aren't playing the best, right? And like I had a family member yesterday. It was like, hey, you predicted this that this was going to be. You need to tell NBC to pub this more. And I wanted to be like, I, you know, I, I was nice to my cousin, but I wanted to be like, you know, Niners versus Chiefs wasn't exactly going out on a limb uh, before the season, yeah. season yeah. started. I bet you like six out of ten people probably had that matchup, or if it wasn't the Niners, it was the Eagles instead, something along those lines. And, and that's the thing about the preseason predictions. It is a guess of all guesses. And if you're right, you are just lucky. And – I take no pride whatsoever because they expect us to do it when in Rome. Remember, I said that before the season. Like, I really don't want to make these predictions, but everybody does it, so you got to do it. And I feel no differently getting it right than I do getting it wrong because it was a dart that you throw with your eyes closed in September, and we both got lucky. Yeah. Period. Well, we got lucky. Yeah. And I don't even year, know if it's that. We'll do it again. But you know what? You know. The, the, and 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 there isn't that much luck involved. No, when that's what I'm saying. There, there's it's separation. The and it's and my homes. Yeah, the Chiefs <laughs> right. are the Chiefs. <laughs> right. I'm brilliant. And the Browns are I the picked, Browns. I so have picked the, the Chiefs. Chiefs to be in the Super Bowl five out of the last six years. I'm brilliant. I kind of know the NFL landscape, right? You know, I mean, oh. like, so you know, hey, but it's like it's an it, easy it's one. It's like Chris the Chiefs Berman. in the field. <laughs> Every year in the 90s, Chris Berman picked the Bills in the 49ers. Yeah, that's right. I remember that. It was a safe pick. Right. It was a safe pick every single year. Okay. Um, I had one more thing I was going to say. Oh, yeah. Before your family gets there, make sure they don't ply you with so many drinks at the casino that you lose $25 million when your family shows up. That's not a conversation (laughs) you want to have with your wife and kids when (laughs) they show up. Wouldn't be a good start. Although for you, (laughs) I need to make sure the folks out there know that when you walk through the door – ply him with weed that's the <laughs> that's way right. although i don't know what the impact i don't know if yeah. they, they want somebody really mellow i guess they ply you with sativa to get you you know hyper i'll be and, as i tell people probably. all the time when i smoke some weed they better watch out for the first hour or so because i'll be smart as hell and be able to read things i'm at my absolute smartest i i kind of say this all the time when i when i smoke in that first 45 minutes to an hour, then I progressively get dumber after that. And it just, you catch me like two hours after I smoke, you're going to be like, wait, the guy smoked a little bit ago. He was telling me all this stuff. Now he can't even like, you know, carry on a conversation or he just glazed over. So uh, I might win some money at first, but eventually I'd probably fall apart. I have this image of both of us going to get a couple of new tailored suits, going top button swag. Oh, I like, like Tom it. Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. 
coming down the elevator, counting cards. We're counting cards. We're <laughs> counting cards. Uh, and then that's, that's the thing. They, you know, they want you to lose horribly. If you win, they're very suspicious. They turn on the eye in the sky. The pit boss is paying attention. They're watching every move you make to see how you're cheating because you can't win. See, that's the thing. That's why they get suspicious. This tells us everything you need to know about casino gambling. It is so rigged against you that when someone happens to win repeatedly, they get suspicious because that can't happen. It's, no, no, you're not supposed to win. You got to understand if you win and win and win, something's wrong here. Right. You're up to something because it's impossible to win and win and win and win, even though there's that lure of winning and winning and winning and winning. All right, let's move on. Seattle Seahawks, will they be winning like they were in the heyday of the Pete Carroll era? Mike McDonald, as we yesterday both came to the conclusion, even though the early smart money in NFL circles was on Dan Quinn, you can't come back from giving up 48 to the Packers in the playoffs. No matter how badly John Schneider wanted to bring Dan Quinn home, he was smart enough to know he couldn't do it. So you go out and find somebody who is literally half the age of Pete Carroll and Mike McDonald to come in, defensive background, Ravens defensive coordinator. You know, when I think about the Ravens defense, I think about what you would say before the start of any given season when we try to assess the Ravens. You look at their defense, it isn't very good. Oh, but you know what happens? It becomes pretty damn good. And that has something to do with the coaching of the defense. The coach is special. He's special. This is an awesome – I think this is an awesome fit, right? I really do. Uh, And one of my favorite fits, I think, of the whole hiring cycle. You know, one – Right? I mean, Dan Quinn, like we've talked about, much respect, but that's just going to be, what, a, a lesser version of what Pete Carroll is? I think you need a new a new message, new pizzazz. There's a culture there that's created, and I know they've already referenced that, and this is a guy that could kind of carry it over, but with a new spin, you know, a new angle to this whole thing that will be refreshing to the football team, let alone, like, I, I mean, Mike, I don't know if you feel it. The Seahawks, the Ravens, are they not like the same team? It's just, you know, they're both birds. They're both like we want a bunch of ass kickers that are mean on defense, and that's the way we want to play. I felt like the Ravens and the Seahawks, it's like they're they're brothers just in a different conference, basically. It's the same mantra, right? We're going to get big, bad dudes. We're going to play fast. We're going to play physical. We're going to do all of that. I mean, Mike McDonald, I really like it. One, he's a brilliant defense of mine. I think you heard me say during the year, as far as watching what they do schematically, it's my favorite defense to watch in all of football. They can do everything. So that is awesome. And, you know, there he goes up to Seattle. We know defense has been a problem, and he's going to be able to straighten that out and then still be about energy and toughness and all the great things that Pete Carroll has instilled into that organization you got a guy here that can, you know, carry that torch. And like you said, he's younger. He'll be able to put his own thing thing on this, his own spin on it, while still embracing Pete Carroll and the things he brought to the football team. But uh, I, I really, this is one I think John Schneider knocked it out of the park. And I think he's got a chance here for this guy to start a Legion of the Boom Part 2 type of thing with this guy uh, manning down the defense and now the head coach of the football team. Did you know Bridgestone developed a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials? Making a difference today for future generations. That's what really matters. Bridgestone, solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. 
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. And as he said on the way in the door, we're going to be here a long time and win a lot of football games. He becomes the youngest head coach in the NFL at age 36. Gerard Mayo held the title. Gerard Mayo is like that free agent quarterback that signs a contract and he's the starter until they draft the next guy. (laughs) Gerard Mayo held it for 19 days as the youngest coach in the NFL. There it is. Mike McDonald, Gerard Mayo, Sean McVay. Look at McVay. McVay is still shocking. People for seven years. Right, right. It's really pretty insane that Sean McVay is still 37 doing what he's doing. He feels like he's one of the more seasoned, older coaches in all of football. And he's still, you know, not even in the prime of his coaching career. So it really is remarkable where what he has done in such a short period of time of life in general. And think about the players they have on defense in Seattle. Yeah. Young guys like right. Devin Witherspoon. Right. Like Tariq Woolen, right. Although last year, last year something, yeah, there something some issues went a little sideways. Right. Yes, but and 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 they're gonna have to do something about Jamal Adams. That yeah, that that's wasn't done. Ending we know well that maybe over. You believe that's over and done? Even yeah. though they're gonna have some cap issues to deal with. The defense has never really been the problem, although it hasn't been as potent in recent years as it was back in the Legion of Boom days. The offense is the thing that just always felt like something is being held back. Right. And I was on radio in Seattle last night and, you know, they were talking about, well, what's going to happen with offensive coordinator? So I don't know what's going to happen, but I know this, they didn't hire Mike McDonald with him coming in and saying, we'll worry about the offense later. He's got a plan that was part of the pitch that he made that they liked. And he's pretty damn confident of who he's going to get to be his offensive coordinator and what the offense is going to be, how it's going to look, how it's going to operate. You don't get hired as an NFL head coach if you don't go in there with a detailed plan and with the confidence that you can deliver. I wonder how many times the guy goes in with his plan as to who he's going to get on his staff and he fails to deliver. Like, I don't know how firm these commitments are on the way through the door. Sometimes they actually hire members of your staff before they even hire you, and then you don't show up and – and the defensive coordinator, Matt Eberflus, is like, what the hell happened? Yeah, wait, I where's the head coach? Right. Daniels didn't come. Right. But so, so usually it's pretty buttoned up by the time the head coach gets the job as to who's going to come along. Yeah, it, it usually is, right? He, I would say majority of the time, once a guy like Mike McDonald starts to feel like, hey, I'm close to getting this job, he's already before that reached out to people you know, going, hey, I'm in the running here. I got a serious chance. I want to let you know. And as he gets closer, yeah, I would say by the time he gets hired, he's probably got a pretty good idea about more than half of his staff as far as I know they're coming. Now i got to fill in a few other spots 
But also within those spots, is there anybody here in Seattle that maybe I go, wow, they've done a good job. I want to keep. And that's where he's going to have to fill in those little holes there as he continues to build, you know, the organization around him and what he likes. So offense, certainly. Where does it go? You know, I think, too, they've gotten away from their mantra a little bit. You're right. I mean, we went forever. You never had to worry about the defense. But the last few years, you've had to worry about it, right? I mean, we've had, like, we had, we had years where we went through the first half of the year with Pete Carroll, defensive coach, out Legion of Boom, where we were like, hey, they're, they're on pace to set the record for the worst defense in the history of football here, and we're in week nine. Now, they right the ship to a degree and still become a pain in the butt, and we know that. But the last three years, we're talking about a defense that's been in the bottom ten of football every year as far as yards allowed. And this is where this is a guy that's going to change that around. And in a lot of ways, has a lot of those Pete Carroll qualities where it's, it's, it's energy, right? It's all about that detail. That's all you ever hear about when you hear about people that go up to Seattle is just the energy. Wow, Pete Carroll, the team meeting, he makes us compete. He, he kind of rises the level of the, the, the building on a day-to-day basis. Now, I don't think it's going to be like that, but, and I don't know Mike McDonald, but the one thing I always hear about him is like polished, right? Right, extremely detailed, okay, all in on the X's and O's department, and then a guy that knows how to relate and talk to everybody, right, everybody in the locker room. And I think that's, that's a big thing, you know, whether it's the big D tackle or the star diva corner, Mike McDonald can relate to all of them and talk to all of them that way, and that's going to go a long way, especially for defensive coaches. That connection's important for to get those guys to fly around for you, play hard for you, and do that. they got to like you, and that's where I think he's got the magic touch, and that's where I think he's going to be perfect for Seattle. Got started in the NFL as a coaching intern with the Ravens 2014. Right. Worked his way up the ladder to defensive assistant, defensive backs coach, linebackers coach. And then in 2021, he spent a year as a defensive coordinator with the other Harbaugh, Jim. And then after that year, back, he decided after a year, I've had enough of Jim. I got to go back to John. And that's probably (laughs) not what he decided. But the timeline fits. The circumstantial evidence is there. Hey, I'm with John. I'm with John. I'm with John. Hey, let me go try Jim. I'm going back to John. He's (laughs) been the defensive coordinator for the last two seasons and now in Seattle. The only sad part of this is he's not in the AFC with the two Harbaugh's, so they won't cross paths on a regular basis, but they could end up facing each other in a Super Bowl at some point. Ravens Chargers, not Ravens Chargers, Ravens Seahawks or Chargers Seahawks. So, uh, neat story. Young guy, great Great rocket up the the uh, the hierarchy, and now yeah. he's in position to take over. Got some work to Seahawks do. Seahawks do, yeah. like all these other right. teams. 25% of the league, new coaches for 2024. We'll see what they all do. And the reality is some will be good, some won't be good. That's the way it works because all these teams play each other. They all intersperse, and we know how it goes. And to say we're going to be here a long time and win a lot of football games you may win a lot of football games, but you better win enough or you're not going to be there a long time. And he knows that walking through the door. He knows how football goes because uh, every year, every it's amazing. And they're already saying next year there's going to be six, seven, or eight vacancies. I don't know how they already know that. There's definitely going to be six, seven, or eight coaches we're looking at as potentially inevitable NFL head coaches in the next cycle. But we don't know how many vacancies there's going to be. But because of the fact that there's 272 games 
And for every good team, there's a bad team. There will be enough bad teams that they're saying we got to make a change. Yeah. So we will be right back at it again. And it just turns over and it turns over and it turns over, which isn't conducive to lengthy stays, which makes what Belichick did in New England even more amazing, which makes what Andy Reid has been doing 25 straight years as an NFL head coach. It's incredible. And he got to a point where it was, it was time to move on for the Eagles. I, I, they probably regret it a little bit in hindsight, but there is a point where you just need to move on. Mike Tomlin, look all the years he's been in Pittsburgh. Yep. It is not easy to stick around for five years, much less 10, 15, or 20 years. So maybe Mike McDonald will be there as long as Pete Carroll or longer. Again, half of his age. He could be there 36 years and be the same age Pete Carroll is now. I, yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, we'll see. I, I think this has got tremendous potential. That's the one thing I'll say. You know, you know, like I said, it's it's tremendously creative. It's it's outside the box thinking. It's game to game, different stuff, right? That I you you always hear me talk about, right? Hey, this is this is cover two this week, but this week it's cover two. But we're gonna tweak this, this, and this, and it's gonna look a little weird, but it's still cover two. But it it makes sense for this team. I mean, you know, just to give a, a light example, that's where he's special. You saw even in the second half of this last game. Again, yeah, they lost to the Chiefs. The defense played phenomenal. I mean, the Chiefs got what? I mean, they had, what was it, 60 yards until the last pass to Marquez Valdez-Scantling in the second half, somewhere in that, that capacity. Uh, so the adjustments are there for what he has to do. The game planning's there. The eye for talent's there. The attitude, Harbaugh-ish, physicality, detail, that's all there. I think then you couple that together where I also like this, right? I'm never a fan of retreads, right? Like we've got Pete Carroll. Now we're going to get, you know, we're going to get a, the, the B plus or B version of Pete Carroll and have him coach the football team. Nah, I don't love that. I don't always think that's the best way to go. Uh, and what the other thing I love about this, Mike, Hey, think about the division he's in, right? What are you going to do? You got to deal with Shanahan and McVay. Twice, four times a year, right? Your options are either you get Ben Johnson and you get in a shootout with them every year and go, we're going to outscore them and they're going to try to outscore us and we'll see where it goes. Or you go, we're going to get an unbelievable defensive coach and be different that way. And we're going to give Shanahan and McVay problems to where they can't just march up and down the field on everybody or us all week. That's where... I think it's extremely exciting for the, the Seahawks, too, the, 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 the combative move about your division. And I think that's where it always starts. How do we win our division? And where do you go from there? And I think Seattle looks at it and goes, wow, we got to deal with those two coaches, right? Our move, we got to become great defensive football teams. And I understand that. Now they got to just start getting the pieces together and the groceries like we talk about. And there's, there's a grocery list. They need some new players there. To, to get this Mike McDonald era uh, going, and that'll be interesting to see what they do there too. And the one big caveat when you hire a defensive coordinator to be your head coach, the most important relationship between player and coach on the team is quarterback and whoever is responsible for coaching the quarterback. If you get an offensive coordinator and a quarterback who do well together, then you have to start worrying about that guy becoming a head coach somewhere else. But you have to have the confidence that you're grooming people under him to become the offensive coordinator and continue. Good problem to have. We lose an offensive coordinator every other year. I mean, John Harbaugh, great head coach. Hey, good problem to have. Mike McDonald graduates to a head coach somewhere else. 
we find someone to replace him and we develop him and off we go. Right. But I like your point that when you're dealing with Shanahan and McVay, sometimes the only way you're going to beat them is to try to control their offense. You're not going to outscore them. You're just going to try to make them score less. And we've seen the last two hires in the division, defensive guys, Jonathan Gannon and now Mike McDonald. Another member of John Harbaugh's staff leaving. The Titans reportedly will be hiring defensive backs coach Denard Wilson as defensive coordinator. He was the Eagles DB coach in 2021 and the defensive passing game coordinator in 22. Been with the Ravens for a year. Now becomes the Titans uh, defensive coordinator with Brian Callahan as the new head coach. Isn't it funny, though? Like, And it just kind of is what it is. There are certain of these jobs, certain of these teams, like – it's hard to get excited about the Titans' moves because it's kind of like you guys got a lot to prove. Here yeah, they got to get they our got, attention. Right. That's to get right. us locked in. Right, like Seahawks' job exciting. Right, Patriots' job exciting for different reasons the change, because yeah. of the transition. Right, from Belichick. Right, and and Panthers and Titans are just kind of there, and maybe they like it that way because you know sometimes when no one's paying attention, you can. Uh, put your plan in place and surprise some people and everyone's overlooking you and they don't really know what to think of you. And then they, they, you get your ass kicked by them. So that may work out well for both teams, but with eight, with eight jobs open, there are going to be some that are sexier than others. And the moves that the Titans and the Panthers are making, I think we're just all kind of collectively shrugging. The other teams right now are a lot more interesting, exciting, good, bad, or otherwise. Yeah. I, you know, I, I feel like, McDonald's a, a proven commodity, I think, is what you're kind of saying there, right? Been a part of a, you know, a team and a culture there that he knows what it's all about to win, go to the Super Bowl, and we've seen he calls plays on the defensive side of the ball, does all the things that we are, have already talked about as far as game planning and adjusting. You know, the Titans, yeah, it's a potential right now, but you're like, where does that go? Uh, you know, Brian Callahan, yeah, like you said, offensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals, but Zach Taylor's there too, right? So that's a, it's like they've been splitting the job there. And I'm not even sure who was calling the plays all the time there in Cincinnati. So there's going to be a lot of newness to Brian Callahan. Not only is he new to the head coaching, but he's going to have more on his plate as far as getting the offense and Will Levis ready to go to the, to the same way as, as far as what he had with Joe Burrow and Zach Taylor in Cincinnati. So we got to see how that goes. That's always interesting to me. Wait, guy that didn't really actually even control a whole unit is now going to go become a head coach and control a whole team. We'll see. And, you know, it goes for uh, the, the hiring of the DB coach as well, as far as the Denard Wilson, excuse me, just because he has the same type of thought process there. Well, he hasn't called plays on defense yet. He hasn't really had to be responsible for game planning. You know, he's worried about one area, but now you've got to tie the linebackers and the D-line together with your secondary and make sure it all works the right way. And those are, the, I think, the things you're alluding to. We just don't know, and we'll see where it goes from there. There's potential, but they got to prove it to us. Meanwhile, the cheese stands alone. Uh-oh. Seven jobs filled. The commanders are not commanding. Still looking. Right. Still, still potentially reeling from whatever it was that happened with Ben Johnson. And I've heard a lot of different things. And I'm not just going to throw it out there, as others have, without being... 100% sure that it's true and without giving the folks involved a chance to chime in. Now, the problem is I've reached out to this guy's agent and there are some that are saying, 
the agent may have negotiated things in a way. And we, we saw it and spoke about it yesterday. The idea that Shefty put out there to 10.7 million followers on X, that the asking price was so high that it spooked multiple teams. I mean, there's other things that I've heard, but again, bottom line is we all thought it was going to be Ben Johnson. I believe Adam Peters, the new GM of the team, wanted to hire Ben Johnson. Right. And see, this is part of the sales job to your fan base. As you get started, new ownership with this new franchise and everything's positive, 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 positive. You don't want anyone to think, and I'm sure they would deny it vehemently. They don't want anyone to think that they didn't get exactly who they wanted. Right. So now they're regrouping. And look, they're down to four candidates that we know of, that we know of, that we know of. And what will they do? Will it be Eric Bieniemy sticking around as head coach after being offensive coordinator of the last regime, the head coach of which has been fired? Aaron Glenn, the Lions defensive coordinator. Not that Lions defense has been a high-end unit the past couple of years, but he could come in potentially do a good job with the commanders we don't know anthony weaver another ravens coach defensive line coach assistant head coach could it be him and dan quinn still in the mix despite giving up the 48 points to the packers in the playoffs do any of those four names excite the fan base if that's the hire i don't know they're still in that honeymoon phase where as long as it's not dan snyder we don't care as long as dan snyder is out of dc and no longer owning our team we don't care you could throw a dart and hit somebody and make that person the head coach, and we don't care. Yeah. But I, I still think the fan base is kind of, you know, they were they were jazzed up about the idea of Ben Johnson, and now, now what, Chris? Yeah. Now what? I, 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 you know, I have a lot of respect for those guys on that list right there. I don't think it's a list, though, to your point, that's going to excite the fan base. Yeah, like, I, I think you're exactly right. They're excited no matter what, right? You know, we know Commander's fans, like Matthew Berry, our fantasy expert for NBC, he's just elated that it's no more Dan Snyder and there's, you know, light at the end of the tunnel there. But, but we don't know what, you know, as far as who that is going to be to lead him to the light. I, I don't know yet. And where they are now, with all spots filled except for them, Hey, the one thing I would say now is don't don't rush to a decision. Take your time here. You're you're the only one left. So, you know, do your due diligence on the four guys there and continue to kind of, you know, peel through the league and, and see if there's anybody else out there that you would think that makes sense for your football team. But there's no competition now. You're kind of sitting there all by yourself and see where it goes. But uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it is odd. And like we talked about yesterday, it's just weird that the, the whole, you know, Ben Johnson thing didn't work out where we all kind of felt like that was kind of inevitable and something went down there, whether it was the money, the years with the money, whatever there, there's something there that to that story that we'll find out eventually that, that, you know, Ben Johnson wasn't comfortable with in Washington or Washington wasn't comfortable with him. One theory that's out there. And again, I'm reluctant to say this is exactly what happened, but you talk to different people and you hear different things. You know, some coaches are able to walk through the door with a lot more juice than the coach is going to walk through the door with in D.C. because the structure is already in place yeah. that Adam Peters is the GM. That's what they decided to do, a strong GM model where the GM runs the team and the coach basically works for the GM. Some other coaches want to be 
like Kyle was. This is what I was alluding to yesterday. with the 49ers. Right, right. You walk through the door as the guy in charge. Yes. And you hire right. the GM. That's why the Chargers, one of the reasons why the Chargers cleared out Tom Telesco. Yes. Along with Brandon Stale. Right. They wanted to have the ability to start from scratch. And if it meant GM, then coach, so be it. If it meant GM, coach, straight partnership, so be it. If it meant coach... And then, hey, coach, who do you want your GM to be? So be it. And that's what they ultimately did, basically, with the Chargers. And I think Ben Johnson might have enough confidence in his ability that if he waits, one of these other teams is going to say, you don't have to try to navigate or work for a GM or anybody other than the owner of the team. You're in charge of the team. Right, right. And that's that's – a philosophical reality that, you know, some coaches think that that they have the ability, and some do, they have the ability working with someone who sets the table to get that right atmosphere of cooperation and partnership. And I guess that's really the key. And and yeah, the way someone explained it to me yesterday, and this is 100% true, if you're going to be on the sideline for three hours, while the owner is up there with the GM sitting next to the owner for the full three hours. As one head coach told me, after visiting the ownership suite of an NBA team, I hope that's not how they talk about me when I'm down there doing my job. Yeah, they right? are. So <laughs> they are talking if about the, you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if you're fully in charge as the coach, you don't have to worry about somebody right. trying to stick a knife in your back. Exactly right. You don't have to worry about that. Right. You hold the and, knife. And that's. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. You know? There's nothing to stick in my back. Right. I'm safe turning my back to you because I got the knife. Exactly. That's not a knife. This is a knife. <laughs> right. But I that and, and Mike, you know, again, I don't know this. I know I alluded to kind of this stuff yesterday when I was talking about this su- subject. Yeah, when it's Ben Johnson, I think he's a guy that looks at it and goes, wait, I'm, I'm McVay. I'm Shanahan. I'm Mike McDaniel. I'm that guy. I'm the guy. And I think if you talk to most people around football, they would agree. He's right up there. Kevin O'Connell, Andy Reid, greatest play callers, game designers, Sean Payton. He's that. So, and like we said yesterday, I think, yes, he's going, wait, I, go, I might only have one shot. I'm going to do this the way I want to do it. And I know how I want it to be done. And to me, you know, and Adam Peters is a strong personality. And he knows football and he knows personnel. So I don't doubt that at all. But that doesn't mean that the other strong personality that's a head coach wants to come in and bow down to you, right? So that's where I'm going to be interested. I'm sure some of the money and the contract thing – there was issues there. I get it. But in my heart of hearts, I, I it feels more like Ben Johnson was like, wait, I, I don't love this structure. And that's where, to me, your point with the Chargers, where teams got to be careful. Because if there is a shiny new object coach out there where you go, wait, that's the guy. He's target number one, which is what Harbaugh and Ben Johnson were. You have to adhere to their rules first. And then you go get the GM because like we're seeing, or like you pointed out, you get the GM and now the coach comes there and you're like, man, we really want this coach. And then he's like, wait, 
hold on, you're going to give him all the power? He's going to do this? I'm, I'm the coach. Like you said, I'm the one out there doing all the stuff all week, three hours on a Sunday, and my butt's on the line. And now I'm not going to be able to control a lot of the stuff that will help me control it on Sunday. And I think that's where a guy like Ben Johnson goes, eh, I'll go back to Detroit. I like living there and working there anyways, and I'll wait till the timing is just right for me to move my family and make this next move. And look, with the commanders, they decided that this is the structure they want. Yeah. Strong GM. Right. And I've said in the past that the owner of the team was enamored with the idea of Bill Belichick being the coach, but only the coach. I think that's one of the big reasons why it's not happening. Right. Because they want the GM to be in charge of the team. That's the model they want. And they know it doesn't work with Bill Belichick unless he's the coach and only the coach. And as Robert Kraft said three weeks ago today, if you take away the power from Bill Belichick to run the whole team, it creates confusion. It creates problems. And I think that's transferable to other teams because Belichick's reputation is so well established that he is the guy fully in charge. It's going to be awkward when he goes somewhere else. He's not going to answer to a GM. And as I said yesterday, one of the first lessons in NFL dysfunction is the GM who brings in a player that the coach won't play. I'll show you. I didn't want this guy. You pick this guy. I don't want him. He's buried on the depth chart. I'm never putting him on the field. Right. And the guy gets caught up in this game between the GM and the head coach because the head coach wants the GM to stop bringing in guys that the coach doesn't want and start getting the guys that he does want. Yeah. It becomes a power play. Right, definitely. I think there's a concern that Belichick, Belichick just can't change at this point. I'm not saying it's true. I'm just saying there's a concern that he's never going to be able to just say, you give me whoever you give me, and thank you, and I'll turn them into the best football players I can. Yeah, well, he has a process and a way that he believes things should be done. And he's got a lot of evidence to say that's it, it worked, right? We can all get out of a little bit, certainly. Like you have, I have. We have. Hey, some of the high-end draft picks and all that. Yeah, you know, for, for my liking too many times and having worked there, I saw this. They were a little too much into the, you know, oh, he made no mental mistake. And I'd be like, yeah, I, I know, but he hasn't made a play in like 100 plays. This guy, he made mental mistakes. And I want to be, yeah, he made two, but he made 98 plays like that this guy can't make. And then they draft that guy. Be like, well, he's always where he needs to be. And I want to be like, well, he didn't make a play the whole year. That's maybe. He needs to be on the bench. Right. Well, that's where maybe, you know, he wasn't his best. But as far as everything else, filling out the rest of the roster, finding diamonds in the rough in the fourth and fifth round and free agency and finding free agents off the streets. And when there's injuries, having the right guys to come and replace it and building the roster the right way for how he, you know, coaches the football team and what he believes in. Those are things, yeah, that I think Belichick is, he's, is there too far ingrained into him right now? And he's been, like you said, so in control and all over all these things and processes, you know, for the last 20 years that, yeah, he's not going to just relinquish it to, to anybody or some guy he just met, you know, a few weeks ago. I, I don't see that happening. To the extent that the commanders were locked in on Ben Johnson and had a curveball thrown right at them when he pulled his name from consideration and they're regrouping. Is there anyone? And I'm thinking back to the situation I alluded to earlier when Matt Eberflus was pre-hired by the Colts to work with Josh McDaniels. McDaniels didn't take the job. Right after the Super Bowl, the one in Minnesota, Eagles, Patriots, and the Colts were back to square one, and they settled on Frank Reich. And it worked 
even though ownership eventually decided that it was all Reich's fault. And I want to bring in Jeff Saturday to see if he can become the coach. I mean, as we've said before, Reich got screwed like a, unlike any other head coach when it comes to quarterbacks. Andrew Luck retires, and it's this revolving door of veterans that they got one year too late, and it just didn't work, and it just didn't work, and he still did well with what he had. But Reich landed in their lap right after the Super Bowl. I'm looking at the coaching staffs of both teams. And we've talked about this recently. How does Steve Spagnuolo not get consideration to be a head coach in the NFL after what he's done defensively? Just because he was with the Rams and it was a complete and total dysfunctional mess in St. Louis. And yes, the team was horrible on his watch, but the team was horrible at that time. How much of that prevents him from getting a second opportunity? And if he puts together, I mean, he held the Ravens to seven points. The Ravens with the not even likely. We all know Lamar Jackson is going to be named the MVP next Thursday night. If he takes the steam out of the 49ers offense and has a plan for Christian McCaffrey and a plan for Brock Purdy and a plan for George Kittle and a plan for Debo Samuel, like at this point, if you're the commanders, don't you say maybe we should do a deep dive into Steve Spagnuolo? I I think at this point, like, like we, you know, we say, I mean, first off, yes, right. There's special attributes about Steve Spagnuolo. Right. I mean, he really is. And again, it's, you know, that first one, it was a, it was a bad look. Like you said, though, there was a lot of stuff around it that weren't very helpful to him, but like, yeah, I do think you take a look here. You know, if if I'm them, I'm calling back Mike Vrabel. I'm going to dive into him again. Again, you're the only one left. So there's no rush. Now take your time, figure this out, you know, exhaust all angles. Right. And I, I think that's where you kind of go, you know, from from here. But, yeah, I don't know if there's, a, you know, a magic option out there that I look at or see that just hits you in the face or anything like that. But, yeah, a guy like Steve Spagnolo, I, I don't think like a fan base would necessarily react negatively to it. Hey, he's a little older. Sure. And you're going to hear about the last coaching job. Sure. But. We're also, you know, this is, he's been the Chiefs defensive coordinator. He changes. He knows how to change year to year with personnel and whatever. And he's special. And I would think, yeah, you turn over that stone and and do a little digging there uh, if you're the Washington Commanders. On the 49ers side, where Adam Peters came from, there isn't anyone that jumps off the page other than Steve Wilkes. The the problem is. Yeah. There were issues this year, and the Steve Wilkes didn't good. come in and right. carry the torch the same way Robert Sala and D'Amico Ryans exactly. did. Exactly. So there's been a sense of a bit of a drop-off defensively. So that doesn't exactly make Wilkes candidate A1, but look at what he did in Carolina in 2023. Right. Look at what he did there, turning that team around, and all those players that wanted him, and maybe in hindsight David Tepper wishes he had given him an opportunity to try to lead the team from square one. That's the only guy that would that would because there is no offensive coordinator to pilfer from there there isn't there isn't an offensive coordinator. There's a run game coordinator, there's a special teams coordinator, there's a defensive coordinator. Kyle Shanahan does everything else. Pass game coordinator, offensive coordinator, that's him. So there isn't somebody there who's been Shanahan's protege that you can just pluck away and make a head coach. But, you know, Adam Peters is going to know that coaching staff better than any other. But our broader point is, here we are 10 days from the Super Bowl. Yeah. 
You aren't competing with anyone else for a head coach right now. Right. You have the luxury of sitting back and waiting. And, yeah, the senior bowl is going on now. Well, it doesn't matter. That's going to come and go. The combine's coming up. You want to have your coaching staff in place by then. But you do have some time. And maybe you take full advantage of it. And you leave no stone unturned. Who's out there that we could consider, including anyone and everyone from the staffs of these two teams that are yeah. still left to play a game? Because there could be something that happens 10 days from now that makes you say, damn, that's the guy that we should be looking at. Right. Go ahead and look at him now. Right. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe somebody comes available that you didn't think would be available. Uh, uh, there is no rush. But you know, like you said, the GM's there. So the front office, some of the free agency and, and, and draft stuff, that's already in motion there. That's not really like a huge, oh, the coach has to be involved in all of that and there to, to, to get some of those details figured out, right? I, 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 do, I always look at connections. Mike McDaniel came from the 49ers. Is this where a place where the commanders and a guy like Frank Smith gets involved now, the, the offensive coordinator for the Miami Dolphins? I know he wasn't in San Francisco, but, again, he knows Mike McDaniel. Adam Peters was with Mike McDaniel in San Francisco. Does he get thrown into the fire here? Another name I'll throw out there that I think is kind of shocking that it just didn't get in the cycle anywhere is Lou Anarumo, the, the defensive coordinator for the Bengals, who was a hot candidate the last few years and has a lot of the Mike McDonald qualities that we talk about. You know, they had some personnel changes on defense this year and statistically weren't good. Uh, so that hurt him, but yeah, I don't know, Mike, I'm going to be really interested to see where the commanders go. Uh, like I said, I feel like it was a little bit, we're all in on Ben Johnson, even though we're trying to make it not look like we're all in on Ben Johnson. Oh, wait, we didn't get Ben Johnson. Oh crap. Let's act like we're not too shocked that we didn't get the guy we want. What the hell are we going to do now? It feels like they're kind of in that, that mode to me. And that's a great point, because if another name pops up on the list that wasn't already there, that reinforces the impression they didn't get their first choice. And I think there is a very strong desire, maybe to the point of an obsession, with creating the impression that new ownership, we are going to be great new ownership and everything is great, and there's no one in their right mind who wouldn't want to work for us except for Ben Johnson. Except for him. So if you start... Putting new names on this list, now you are telling the world our first choice was Ben Johnson. It wasn't one of the people we've already talked to. Because they're not going to be able to sell the idea that they waited a month to finally unveil the person that is their first choice by making an interview request or bringing in this person to talk to. The, the whole thing is unfortunate that it happened. Whatever the reasons, whatever the cause, the way that it happened, it's going to make it impossible. Maybe that's what the commanders just need to do. We need to take a break. But my last point is this. Yeah. The commanders just need to accept the fact that they didn't get their first choice and people are going to know it. Now go make chicken salad and make the best damn chicken salad that you can. When we return, Packers have a new defensive coordinator who came from an unlikely place. We'll discuss that next here on PFT Live. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.